At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Are you ready for Christmas? Like for today, were you ready? I'm guessing most of you were. I'm guessing that most of you have spent weeks, maybe even some of you months, preparing for this day, preparing food, preparing presents, preparing your house, decorating. I mean, some of you maybe started preparing last night, but I would imagine most of us have been preparing for Christmas for quite a while. I doubt there were many people who woke up this morning and were like, well, I guess I probably should do something. No, we, we prepare for Christmas. We recognize the significance of the day, and so we take time to prepare for it. But let me ask you that question again in a different way. Are you ready for Christmas Day? Are you ready for what this day represents? The arrival of God's Messiah, his promised king that has come. Are you prepared for that? Historically, the season of Advent in the church is a time of preparation. It's a time in which the church, and we've been on an Advent journey for the last several weeks, which culminates today on Christmas Day. It's a time where the church looks back at Jesus's first arrival, his coming as that baby in a manger. Advent just means arrival. And reminds ourselves of what took place when God fulfilled his promises then. But it's also a time in which we remember by looking back and prepare ourselves for the arrival that is to come. That God ultimately is in Christ is going to come again to reestablish his kingdom forever in a new creation. God arrives to his people. He arrived 2,000 years ago in a manger. He arrives to us today by his spirit. And he will arrive again in his return. The question is, are you prepared for his arrival? That's a question I think we all need to consider. And today, we're going to ask that question. As we remember Jesus' arrival, we want to ask, are we prepared to receive the king? Throughout the season of Advent, we've been studying through the first two chapters of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew gives us there his account of Jesus' birth and arrival. And as he does, he continues to announce to his audience, which would have been primarily Jews, that Jesus was the fulfillment of ancient prophecies that were given to God's people, the nation of Israel, concerning the Messiah, God's promised king. The Messiah was the one God promised time and again was going to come to rescue and redeem God's people, to establish God's kingdom, and to reign over his people forever. Matthew, from the very beginning of his gospel, seeks to show us that Jesus is, in fact, that promised king. If you were here last night, we looked at Matthew's summary, but he's really done it from the very beginning. 
He begins his gospel in chapter 1 with a genealogy that shows Jesus' lineage and connection to King David, the great king in Israel's history. He recounts the prophecy of Isaiah and the promise that a virgin would conceive and that God would be with us in the promised son. He recounts the prophecy of Isaiah that a king was going to become and he was going to be born in Bethlehem. He looks back at the prophecy of Hosea where God would remind him that he would bring out of Egypt his son again to lead God's people into a new promised land. Matthew goes back to the prophecy of Jeremiah to show that he would come, the Messiah, to bring hope to those in oppression and suffering under evil. And finally, again, as we saw last night, Matthew shows us that Jesus is the branch of David, the only one fit to rule and reign and reestablish and restore God's Edenic vision for all of creation. Matthew, for two chapters now, has been trying in every way he can to show you Jesus is the promised king, the Messiah who is to come. But even as Matthew establishes that for us, as he continues to move his account along into chapter 3 that we're looking at this morning, he then moves to ask his audience by way of story if they're prepared to actually receive the king that is to come. Let's look back at the text again together. Look at just the first four, ma- or four chapters of Matthew chapter 3. Four verses of Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So Matthew's fast-forwarded several years. He's now about to move into Jesus' adult ministry. But before he does that, he brings this man on the scene. John the Baptizer. And John comes preaching a message. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew then again goes and does what he's been doing all along. He connects John now with the ancient prophecies of old. Verse 3, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So a man shows on the scene. John, we're going to call him John the Baptizer, because that's really what the word is, and it helps us not see that he's affiliated with a certain denomination that we're familiar with, right? He came and he performed a unique act, baptizing people as a symbol of repentance. We'll see that in a moment. But John comes preaching in the wilderness of Judea, which is the area surrounding Jerusalem at the time. And he comes preaching a pretty straightforward message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We'll unpack that for a minute. But as John, as Matthew presents John to us, he wants you to see a couple key things about him and why he thinks he's so important to helping us prepare to receive Jesus. First, you see that Matthew sees John as the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. That prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where God begins in Isaiah 40 to comfort his people about the promise of the ultimate uh, return that he is going to bring to not only them, but all the world out of exile, culminating in his new creation in Isaiah 65. But in Isaiah 40, as a transition text in the prophecy, there's heralded one that was going to come to prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew sees John as the fulfillment of this prophecy. John's in the wilderness. 
He's doing what the very text says, and he's preparing for the Messiah that God promises is ultimately going to come. So he's preparing the people by fulfilling the prophecy. But he's also doing a second thing that's maybe not so easily noticed in the text for many of us. I know I didn't catch it at first until I dug a little deeper. John is also continuing the mission of the prophet Elijah. So Matthew makes this interesting note. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now you might be thinking like, what? Okay, I mean, he lived in the desert. I guess that's natural, right? You wear camel's hair, you eat some weird food. That's kind of what you do. But no, actually, Matthew's making a very specific connection with John, with an Old Testament prophet, one of the great Old Testament prophets, Elijah. If you go back and read 2 Kings, this is the description given of the prophet Elijah. 2 Kings 1. Oh, you're back there. Thanks, Francis. Great. That means I don't have to click my clicker. So... 2 Kings 1.7 says, He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him. Here's the description of Elijah. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So Elijah wears a garment of hair and has a belt of leather. And Matthew makes the connection that John has camel's hair, and wears a belt of leather. Now, why is that important? Why is he trying to make a connection between John and Elijah? Well, because the ancient prophets had prophesied that just in the same way Elijah came to God's people, that one like Elijah was going to come again to prepare God's people for the arrival of the Messiah. If you go back into Malachi chapter 4, it says this. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So Elijah is the one, or I'm sorry, John is the one like Elijah who's come to prepare the people for God's arrival in his Messiah, to turn their hearts back towards him, to reconnect. And he comes preaching and proclaiming the message. And so in that, we see the role that John plays in preparing people then to receive the king. But from his ministry, we also learn some key things of the way we can continue to receive the arrival of King Jesus in our lives. And even as we prepare for his arrival in return, how do we actually prepare to receive King Jesus? That's the question. How do we prepare to receive King Jesus? Well, John shows us two ways, two brief ways that we're going to look at this morning. The first thing that John reminds us is one of the ways we receive King Jesus is by listening to God's message. Listening to God's message. The way in which John prepares the way and makes the paths straight, what he has come to do is through the call of the message that he preaches. Simple and straightforward. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, we'll unpack that a little bit more in a minute. But for right now, what we need to see simply is that the way in which God prepares his people is by bringing his message, his word to them to be proclaimed and responded Two, a preacher is sent, and his message is the message of God, and this is how God prepares his people to receive the king. The proclamation of God's word is how God always prepares his people. 
to receive the work that he is going to do. It's why he's always sent prophets and those that would speak. It's why he calls preachers and those that would proclaim God's word. Not because the person is special, but because God's word is the way in which he heralds the truth of what he's going to do and invites people to respond. Here, God speaks through John. And God still speaks today through those that herald the message, the true message of God's word as it's found, inspired, and recorded in the scripture. It's as we hear God's message in our own lives that we then are prepared to receive the work that God wants to do, both initially in faith, but even in our continuing journey of faith. For 400 years prior to this moment, God was silent. But now suddenly in John, he begins to speak. He begins to bring his word afresh. And the question is, were people listening? Were they ready to hear the message? Or had they given up hearing from the Lord? And I think it forces the same question for us. Are we listening for God's messages in our life from his word? Or have we given up listening, reading, studying what God might have to say us to us, the way he wants to arrive in our lives from the Spirit. You see, there's a difference between hearing God's word and listening to God's word. The difference is between what you might call passive and active listening. You know this. There's two ways to listen to someone when they speak. You can listen passively or you can listen actively. Now, I have a fairly bad reputation of being a passive listener. I'm really good at living in my own head, which means I'm not always and have not historically always been as attuned to the voice, especially of my family, as I should be. My wife sometimes gets jealous because it's a great trick in the car. I can tune out my yelling kids so easily, but it's not always great in relationship. And so one of the things I've had to learn and work on in my adulthood is moving towards being an active listener. So I've tried to learn some techniques to actively listen, like reflective listening, where I try to reflect back what someone says to me to make sure that I understand and I'm paying attention. Recording and coaching myself in my mind to tune in and focus because I'm naturally prone to drift. Some of you are like that, right? You get it. Some of you are like, man, you're the worst, but that's fine, right? But you know the difference. You know the difference. And there's a difference in the way we approach listening to God's word in our lives as well. Too often we can fall into the trap of being passive listeners. Yeah, we come to church, we hear God's word proclaimed. Ah, maybe we read our Bibles here and there, but really we're just passive. We're not meditating, we're not thinking, we're not trying to seek to apply it, we're not trying to figure out, oh, how is God's spirit trying to move in my life to take what his word says to help me move to be more like him? We just kind of let it wash over us and then we move back to our own thoughts, our own way, our own approach. I mean, even as you've gone through the Christmas season, I know how easy it is to hear familiar words and familiar lines and familiar stories, and we just tune out. Oh, I've heard that before. We become passive listeners. But when we do that, we miss listening to the active voice of God that wants to speak in our lives by his word through his spirit. Are we ready to receive the king? Are we listening for God's work in our lives? Are there areas in your life that God wants to bring the goodness of his kingdom to bear upon? Are you listening to God in those areas? Are you in his word? 
reading, hearing, listening for what his voice might say to you from his word to help you, to guide you, to bring the kingship of Jesus to bear on that area or that struggle or that place in your life. The way of the king and the way of the kingdom come to us through God's word. Don't miss that. The way of the king and the way of the kingdom come through God's word, being heard and obeyed. But to do that, we have to be active in listening to his message. To receive the king, we have to listen to God's message. But there's a second thing that John points us towards. We also need to humble ourselves in repentance. As they hear John's message, we now look to what John's message is. The call from John to prepare for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand to prepare for that, is one simple command. Repent. Repent just means to turn or to change. Usually something that starts in the mind but then leads to the way in which we live. For John, the way that we receive the king is hearing his message, but then by turning from the way of our lives to embrace his word and his ways. But the way we receive the king is by a turning in response. And we see that in John, this is how people were preparing. Look at verse 5. So he goes out, he proclaims this message. And then in verse 5, we get a picture of the response. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So the people hear the message and they turn. Baptism would have been a symbolic outward expression of repentance. It was a mode in that day of cleansing in the Jewish culture and world. It was a way in which they admitted their wrong, their dirtiness of sin. They sought cleansing and to turn towards God. It's a visual picture of where the people's hearts were at. They were turning in repentance from their sin, from their fallenness, from the ways in which they had turned to God to turn back to him. This is exactly what John came to do to prepare them, to turn their hearts back to God. And they were following his call and invitation. Repentance, turning from our way to God's way, always involves three things. And you see it in this text. It involves confession, which is an act of the mind where we acknowledge in our heads, Francis, you can go to the next slide, where we acknowledge in our heads the reality of our sin. Confession is owning up to our sin before God and others, agreeing with him about its wrongness, that it is not his way or what is best for us or the world. Repentance then involves contrition, which is an act of the heart. It's feeling within our heart the way God feels about our sin. Because ultimately to turn, we have to stop trusting the thing we're trusting in. And we have to begin trusting in God, in his word, and his ways. That starts in the mind in confession. It moves to the heart in contrition. And then ultimately it results in change. It begins to move us to live in a different direction. Turning from our way to God's ways. And you see this in the text. The people are coming to John. They're confessing their sins. They're acknowledging their wrongness. They're agreeing with God about the reality that they have turned from his ways. They demonstrate their contrition by their act of repentance or by their act of baptism. 
a, heart, a physical display of where their heart was, and then they move to change. Because to receive the king, you have to humble yourself in repentance in all three ways. And we see, again, a challenge towards the third way because another group of people show up on the scene, but they don't embrace this path of repentance. They're the religious elite. They think they know better. They think they've got it figured out, that they don't need to humble themselves in repentance before God. Look what John says to them. Verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, there's a way in which to come to God and try to come to God without repentance. But that doesn't actually prepare you to receive him. In fact, if anything, it turns you from him. And so John rebukes them and challenges them and reminds them, you can't receive the king without repenting. And repenting involves not only confession and contrition, but change, bearing the fruit of your repentance. It involves our lives being different and marked by his kingdom, not our own. We know this is the nature of repentance. So um, Apple TV Plus just released this new movie this uh, year called Spirited. I don't know if any of you have seen it or not. It's, a, it's an interesting musical take on the classic Christmas carol story. And kind of the premise of the movie is that uh, there's a group of spirits who every year find someone like Scrooge that they seek to change by visiting them on Christmas Eve and showing them Christmas past and present and future. And it's a musical rendering. And it's a fairly fun um, rendition. But the, the movie opens actually with one person. They call her Karen, which seems culturally appropriate. No offense to any Karens in the room. It's just, you know, how it's become in our culture. Um, and and they, they show her uh, with, the, go, with the, the spirit of Christmas future right before her, like, big moment of change. And, and it's, it's an interesting. So the next morning, she wakes up on Christmas morning. She walks out onto her porch. And all the kind of spirits come and they gather to see, is she really going to change? Is she going to be different? And, and so the kids are out playing hockey and their ball rolls onto, the, onto our front lawn and they all run over scared of her, ready for her to be her typical self, to yell and scream and, and get angry. But she doesn't. She's different. She's joyful and she jumps in on the game and it's kind of the way the movie kicks off and then it, it goes in a, a little bit of a different direction. But as I was watching it, I was reminded it. We recognize repentance involves a change, not, not just a change of our mind. It involves a change of our actions, of moving towards being different. That that's really what true repentance involves. Now, the change we need doesn't come from visits from spirits on Christmas Eve, right? It comes through the arrival of the king in our lives who works by his Holy Spirit to bring conviction and call and change and vision and God's word to bear. The question is, do we embrace the path that repents before him, that confesses our sin, takes time for contrition, and seeks genuine change. Because we will not see the kingdom of God come into the areas of our lives where we need it most if we don't embrace a path of humble repentance. Where we live like Pharisees, content in our own self-righteous, not thinking that we need to confess or admit our wrongs or unwilling to acknowledge before God and others the sins, struggles, and brokenness of our lives, then we leave those areas of our lives closed to the work of God, unable for the king to come in and change us in the way he desires and bring the power of his kingdom to bear on our lives. I mean, one of the great moments in the Christmas story is the morning when Scrooge wakes up. 
And there's a joyful reminder that he gets another chance, another opportunity. And the joy that floods over his life and floods over that moment is compelling to all of us. It's been compelling for generations as people have told that story time and time again. But that story is a reminder that there's a joy available to our lives as well when we embrace the path of repentance. That the king wants to bring joy into our life. That he wants to bring goodness and life. That he wants to arrive in power Not just in the places where we're strong, but in the places where we're weak and broken. But it's only when we're willing to be open and admit and confess and begin and embrace the path of repentance that we can experience that. And so John prepares the people for the arrival of the king. The king is here. We saw that last night. We've seen it all this. The promised king has arrived. The question is, are we prepared? And the invitation this Christmas is to say, let's get ready to receive the king. I mean, not just this day, but every day. Let's be the sort of people that listen to God's word, that are regularly hearing it, engaging it. I'm grateful that you would wake up on a Christmas morning when many people would not take the time to hear God's word to be here. Continue that. Continue to invest your life to sitting, not just before my preaching, it's not about me, but being before God's word. Hearing it on Sunday, being in it during the week so that God's spirit might speak into your life and Jesus might arrive in power to the areas of your life that you need him. Embrace the path of repentance in humility. Be willing to admit your mistakes. Be willing to admit your brokenness because that's where God arrives. That's where he shows up. It's people who hear his word and approach him with humble repentance that God works in. The great prophet Isaiah would remind us of this in Isaiah 66 when he would write these words. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. He reminds us of his glory and his majesty, who he is above all things. But then I love these words, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The king has arrived. May we be the sort of people that would humble ourselves before him to hear his word afresh, to repent of our ways and turn to him because that's the way we receive the king, not just on Christmas day, but every day. So will you hear God's message and will you receive the king? I pray you would. Let me pray for us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.